This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com fool. Welcome, fools, to the latest episode of Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Shen, and it is Tuesday, August 30th, and today I have the great pleasure of introducing Sarah Priestley, who's making her Industry Focus debut, kind of, at least for the consumer goods sector, because I know you've been on the show with uh, Dylan for tech a few times. But how are you doing, Sarah? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Are you excited? Uh, yeah, I'm very excited. This is interesting for me, very interesting. Not that obviously tech isn't, uh, hopefully Dylan won't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so we have uh, a great discussion for you today, but um, I wanted to mention that Sarah and I are pretty excited that at this moment there's about 36 hours remaining in the month of August because we've been suffering through the past 30 days after we decided to try to kick sugar along with a few other fools here at HQ. So basically the rule was, no added sugar, uh, things like fruit are fine, but the good stuff, so ice cream, chocolate, no go. And you know, you can't forget that a lot of savory foods too, like pasta, bread, I've been missing pizza a lot, even ketchup has added sugar too. So I have to ask you, Sarah, what has been the toughest thing for you to avoid in August in terms of sweets? Chocolate. Chocolate? Yeah, chocolate's uh, been missing from my life. That has been a very common answer among the people who are participating, being yeah. something that's hard. Um, and I have to say, you know, when the clock strikes midnight tomorrow, <laughs> what is the first thing you think you're going <laughs> to be eating if you're up at that time? Well, my um, my parents came a few weeks ago and they bought some British confectionery, which I'm very partial to. So I have some stored British confectionery that I may crack out at midnight tomorrow. <laughs> okay, that's a that's a very good choice. I think. I might be waiting with a spoon and a pint of ice cream, frankly, <laughs> but we'll see. I, I'm not really sure yet. So, getting into business, Sarah uh, had suggested a really interesting topic for the show today, uh, basically around executive leadership and the impact new CEOs have had at two major companies in the consumer and retail world that have been struggling in one way or another over the past few years. So, our first company is McDonald's, uh, led, now led by Steve Easterbrook, who has been at the helm for about, I think, 20 months at this point. So, Sarah, what is Easterbrook story. Let's start with that. Like, how did he, uh, you know, get to that position? And you know, we'll go over there. Yeah. So Steve Easterbrook started January of last year. Um, he's pretty young. Um, he's only forty nine, and he's been working at McDonald's almost since he left college. So he started in nineteen ninety three. He attended uh, Hamburger U, which is their internal training program. He headed uh, McDonald's UK and then went on to head international and left for a brief period of time to CEO for uh, Pizza Express and Wagamama's in the UK, which I know that you're not familiar with. But if you envision, if you will, a mix between Chipotle and Olive Garden, that's kind of what you've got. So it's a step above fast casual because it's still got table service, but it's in that realm. Okay. Um, So he's obviously spent many years with McDonald's, pretty much his entire career, except for that short hiatus, I think of just like two or three years, right? you know, prior to Easterbrook taking the role, uh, we I think a lot of people who follow McDonald's and in general who you know see headlines, comparable restaurant growth at the company was trending downward into negative territory across a lot of its major markets since 2012. Um, brand was losing, I think, a lot of its luster, frankly, among consumers and investors. And competition in the restaurant industry was definitely very intense. You know, you had fast casual entrants and just in general among the big incumbents. 
So Easterbrook takes a job. What do you think at the time were the biggest issues on the docket that he needed to address? Well, I think uh, for anybody coming into this position, it's the scale of the company. The company is so huge that any change that they make has to be pretty impressive to move the needle. So to just just give you a very brief idea of how big the company is, they once considered including blueberries in one of their uh, menu items. And in one day, so overnight, they looked at buying one third of the US's capacity for blueberries. <laughs> um, so it just it's just a, a massive company. So anything that they did really has to be um, quite important quite huge. Uh, and then I think you've touched on a couple of the issues. So the, there was definitely a lack of um, consumer favorability towards the brand. It was it was starting, and you, you even saw this in the restaurants too, they started to get a little bit degraded. Um, and then I think it's competition from uh, fast casual companies, so we mentioned already Chipotle. Um, and also I think generally the environment is moving much more towards healthy eating options, which they didn't cater to very well. Sure. And okay, so you know, with that context and uh, everything that you know, there's definitely been a lot of uh, initiatives that he's kicked off, or you know, just things that he's put into place to start what you would call the turnaround. The stock has definitely made some changes or uh, bounced back quite a bit, I'd say, from the approximately ninety dollars per share that uh, it was trading at in January 2015 when he started. Um, we can get to that a little later, but really, I want to focus more on the the quality on the more qualitative side. You know, what do you think were the things that worked, didn't work, and just in general, uh, what did he kick off since taking you know the reins essentially? Yeah, so he has he started these um, initiatives uh, at the end of this year. They're going to transition from kind of these turnaround plans to a more long term progression. But when he, it's, it's interesting, when he announced uh, the turnaround, Forbes called the video in which he released <laughs> it spectacularly awful. It was called a yawn fest, uh, and the stocks actually fell 2%. So you can see that there initially wasn't very much support behind what he was saying. My personal feeling on this is that Steve Easterbrook happens to be British. I feel like we are not particularly good at show business uh, and showmanship, and I think that that's probably what his presentation was lacking, a little bit of feeling behind it. Sure, like that pizzazz. Yeah, absolutely, which you are all very good at. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, some of the things that he kind of started, I would say, I kind of split it up into four different sections. So, there was a general shake-up. Uh, he looked at efficiencies, better care of employees, all driving towards better customer experience. Mm-hmm. So, just to touch on the shakeup, um, I think this is very, very important for a company like McDonald's. It's been around for a very long time, it's been beloved, and it's kind of rested on its laurels. It's officially kind of plateaued. Uh, so, he's moving the office location from Oak Brook, which is a western suburb of Chicago. Um, they've been there since 1971 to Chicago's Fulton Market District in the downtown. And I think this really symbolizes a lot more than it actually delivers. Uh, it symbolizes the fact that they've been in the suburbs, have been surrounded by fences and you know been uh, uh, separated from a lot of their competitors and they've lost that competitive edge, they've lost that drive. He wants to bring them back in to get them to where their consumers are, um, attract top talent to the downtown area, um, cost savings from moving to but generally kind of just giving off this impression that things are going to change. So that's a big step for the company. Uh, the other thing is he's restructured the company into four different sections. So you've got the international lead market, high growth markets, and then two subsequent sections. And for all of these sections, he's changed the management. And that's a big structural change for the company. Mm-hmm. And it really shows you where they're kind of uh, focusing their attention. Um, and I think it's a very sensible thing to do with 
trying to devolve the, the turnaround plan that they have. Um, with regards to efficiencies, he's cutting 500 million in SGNA by uh, the end of next year. Job cuts are rumored to be part of that, and I think that there will be some attrition just from moving the um, location of the company. Um, and then the franchise model. So the franchise model um, that they currently have is, is around 81%. So they're 81% currently franchised. They want to move to about 93%. The result of that will be better insight into the locality, so what, what people like in that area, especially in the Asia region. But also the margins are a lot better. They're 82% for a franchise store compared to 15.2% for a company owned. So that's huge. Um, Things like simplifying the menu. Uh, the menu have grown 43% in the last seven years. That's huge. It become incredibly uh, cumbersome for the staff when they're trying to take customer orders and also for the customers who essentially, you know, you want a burger and fries when you go to McDonald's. And that's what became hard to get. Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of surveys that some research analysts and uh, you know banks will essentially go out and do where they talk to franchisees about their experience. What they like don't like from company-wide initiatives and a lot of a lot of them had mentioned the fact that and funny enough the next initiative or one of the initiatives that a lot of people have attributed successfully to Easterbrook is all day breakfast with the fact that you know menu complication was a big issue for customer service in general and i think that definitely flowed down to the customer experience and uh, you know they just mentioned that trying to keep the restaurant running uh, smoothly and efficiently with all these different menu items and the fact that it just took longer for, for example people in line trying to figure out what to order that slows down the works all the way down the line so yeah absolutely and you touched on all day breakfast all day breakfast has been huge um, driver for them as you can see in the in the uh, quarterly results and they actually rolled that out in four months which I think demonstrates that they've gone from such a cumbersome slow-moving organization to actually being very fast to enact this so they launched it um, in October of last year which is going to make the comps for this coming quarter very difficult for them, I imagine. Uh, but they're also doing other things, like they moved from margarine to butter for the flavor. Uh, they're do using MSC certified fish, uh, preservative free in their chicken nuggets. They're moving away from antibiotics. They're doing a lot of things to improve the quality of the food that they're delivering. And some of these things that they're doing, obviously, they're using to kind of um, as promotional to prop uh, sure. the products. But some things they're not. So they're actually using sustainable beef sources and they're mixing that in. Uh, at currently at a low percentage into what they already use. And they're going to gradually increase that until they're using 100% sustainable beef. This isn't something that they've talked about very much, and it shows you, I think, that the quality is kind of being taken very seriously at the company, not necessarily just an advertising. Yeah, it's not just marketing to compete with a Chipotle, for example, to exactly. say, hey, you know, we are also sustainable, and uh, you know, we are also basically giving you the healthier food that a lot of consumers seem to be wanting these days. Exactly, yeah. Um, I, I think they were heavily criticized before Easterbrook took over for treating millennials if they're just a homogenous group and trying to push forward healthy eating. You know, kale was always the joke. Um, and I think this is similar, that, that they could be criticized for going towards sustainability as a ploy, but I, I really do think they're trying to em embody that. Um, and I think generally they're just becoming a better organization. They're taking better care of employees. They've raised wages. And there's tuition assistance, which is a fantastic, I think, 5,000 people um, qualify for archway to opportunity, which is which is helping them, and this has had a direct impact. So it's reduced turnover, and it's also giving customers friendlier, uh, happier people to interact with when they go to McDonald's. Sure, and then obviously that's very important. Um, so, you know, we've covered a, you know a whole ton of initiatives that you've mentioned under Easterbrook. I th definitely think he's 
pushing uh, the company in the right direction, especially with this bigger picture, long-term focus. Even going back to the beginning, which you mentioned about the office uh, move, that has that can really impact morale, and that can really impact the culture with the, especially ad headquarters or their you know their corporate headquarters. And other companies have done that too. Um, I, I believe it was Gap. Um, also, you know, new new leadership took over, kind of just changed the layout and the design, interior design of the office, and that can really flow through, I think, to the rest of the business. But um, you know, without getting too focused on short-term trading moves, uh, you know, I mentioned that uh, the stock was up quite a bit since Easterbrook over Easterbrook's tenure, forty percent at one point earlier this year. I think it was in May. Um, the gains now are about closer to twenty-five percent, but still in a period of twenty months, really solid, especially for a bigger, com- you know, well-known, mature brand like McDonald's. But if we look a little deeper at the financials, um, you know, when Easterbrook took over. In terms of trailing earnings, it was trading about 19 times by my calculation. Now it's about 24 times, but you know earnings per share hasn't really changed all that much. But you know, looking at the financials, what do you think? Do you think the business is trending in the right direction in terms of some of the big metrics that we might look at, like comps and things along those lines? Absolutely, they've just they had their fourth consecutive quarter of comparable store sales growth, which is fantastic. I think uh, last quarter the comps got more difficult, so they are starting to slow, which affected the um, stock price. But if you look first half of 2016, their net income was two billion two hundred seventeen million versus two billion thirteen million for the year previously. Earnings per share of two dollars fifty one cents versus two dollars nine cents. So they are definitely making empirical improvement. Franchise margins were also up six percent. You are starting to see um, some of the the cost of what the the improvement measures, such as the increased wages, taking effect. But if you look at some of the qualitative measures, like customer satisfaction, their scores improved seven out of nine markets. Um, YouGov also does a consumer perceptions report, so they take fourteen hundred companies, um, they rank what was most improved in terms of customer perception, and McDonald's was fourth. So that shows you that they're making leaps and bounds from where they were. Um, as I mentioned last quarter, the pace of growth slowed due to um, hard mar- harder comparisons. Sorry, but also the industry experienced a 350 basis point decline due to deflation in um, at grocery stores. So it, it became tangibly cheaper for people to eat at home than it is to eat out. Whereas before, if you go to kind of the lower fast food restaurants, that's always been touch and go for families. But now it's it's categorically cheaper to eat at home, which has impacted the whole industry. Sure. Sure. Okay, so uh, I want to wrap it up here. Uh, I think before we move on to our uh, next company, which is, again another big name, I think a lot of people will obviously recognize. But you know, any uh, do you have any view on for Easterbrook in terms of you know he's kind of stabilized the uh, stabilized the business and put it on the right track. What do you think is his uh, maybe like next? Year or maybe even next five years, like his view. Do you think it's growing stores? Uh, you know, you mentioned the refranchising and how important that is, especially with the improved margins they see. But are certain markets maybe uh, become a focus, like maybe in Asia Pacific, for for example? Yes. So he's absolutely has a plan to open more stores. I think they want to open four thousand new stores. I will say that needs to be four thousand of the right stores. So they're closing underperforming restaurants right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the focus absolutely is in the Asia region, so they're re- refranchising a lot of those because they've underperformed historically 
um, the viewpoint on that has been that they didn't have the insider knowledge, if you like, into the locality. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're hoping to give them now. They're also opened their first restaurant in Kazakhstan. So um, in different places like that, they're starting to, to have a presence. So definitely growth is, is on the agenda. Um, and I would also say that he probably wants to apply some of these uh, learnings and findings from what they've done in the U.S. to other countries, too. Okay. Uh, so, before we move on to our next CEO case study, I wanted to thank Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting Industry Focus. I was actually catching up with my brother yesterday, who also happens to live in D.C., and he's looking to buy a home in the area. He spent the last four weeks telling me about how he's coming through listings, looking at dozens of properties in Maryland. And even with all that effort he's putting, he said his biggest source of frustration has been the whole mortgage process. Fortunately, Rocket Mortgage is bringing the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's tailored to your unique financial situation. And it is fast, powerful, and completely online, so you can do all this from your smartphone or tablet. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. All right, so our next company is King of Retail, Walmart. Mm-hmm. Uh, current CEO Doug McMillan has been in the position since February 2014, and even more so than Easterbrook, who impressively has had such a long tenure with McDonald's. He's a company man through and through. He has Absolutely. been with Walmart since like a, as a summer since his job as a summer associate uh, there in 1984, and he was just 17 years old. So, you know the true case of somebody who. Started and has uh, started the company and just rose through the ranks, now leading it. Um, what do you think? I think uh, he has rightly been praised from multiple sources. Even COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, has given her praise to him after meeting him mm-hmm. uh, in kind of an exchange program. Fortune has done an article called The Man Who's Reinventing Walmart. He's been called the most qualified person since Sam Walton. Um, so there's a huge amount of expectation on him, but as you said, he's a company man through and through. He's from Arkansas. Um, he worked there at high school. He's stacked shelves. He's done a 2.4 billion dollar merger in uh, South Africa. So he has a, a huge amount of experience. And then the other thing is he's incredibly likable. So in New York and in uh, Washington D.C., where Walmart's um, tended to have uh, a worse reputation with how they treat their employees, there's ad campaigns going on at the moment, and you may have already seen them. Um, featuring him on his Instagram feed, basically uh, doing uh, visiting the store and talking about how much better they're treating their employees. Sure. Um, and it's a very compelling ad. He's very likable. Uh, I read somewhere that he strikes the perfect balance between very, being very affable and aggressive, and that's exactly how I put it. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, let's paint a little bit of a picture here. I think some people are familiar with the fact, you know, once you reach the scale, similar to McDonald's that Walmart has, it uh, doing anything I think that really moves the needle for the company becomes very challenging. But uh, in terms of you know, before uh, McMillan uh, took the helm and became potentially his most qualified CEO since <laughs> Sam Walton, uh, what was basically Walmart facing? And then we can kind of get into the steps that he took. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I would say Walmart essentially came to prominence by saturating markets. They were uh, the most convenient option at the lowest price, but the problem is now they have competition from all sides. Uh, So, from the lower end, Dollar General and the dollar stores are uh, increasing in popularity, Uh, Costco and Target. 
as the big box big big box retailers sorry um kroger uh they really up their game in terms of organic and fresh uh, i think walmart missed the mark on that initially um if you look a decade ago walmart was 15 to 18 percent cheaper on groceries than kroger kroger the gap is now four to seven percent so that's um, getting a lot shorter. And then the other thing is, in terms of uh, convenience, Walgreens and CVS are leveraging uh, their geographic um, dominance and offering groceries there, so people have another alternative. Um, more than all of that, though, is online. So if you look, Amazon 2012 to 2015 doubled their sales. Walmart grew their sales by 8.6% in the same period. So uh, it's the Amazon effect. There is definitely uh, online sales, which is taking away from Walmart revenue. Yeah, with that kind of growth, it's you know it's not. Unfortunately, consumer spending has not been growing at that rate, and you know that is Amazon taking shares, especially from a lot of the traditional retailers. Walmart being, I think, in my opinion, the epitome of that. But they are, uh, you know, moving it seems kind of forward under McMillan's uh, guidance. So, you know, obviously, big challenges, but still a very large, stable company, like incredible. Uh, you know, I think a very strong, incredible financial position. But you know, what is he doing to shore things up, really, for you know another, uh, you know, essentially generation of dominance in this in this space, really? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you'll see a lot of similarities between this and the Easterbrook, but purely by fact that I think they're both. Uh, huge companies, both huge examples of American commerce, um, and by consequence, they have similarities in their turnaround plan. So he's also doing a shakeup. He's moved execs. Um, currently, the head of China will now go and take over Asda in the UK, which is struggling quite significantly. Uh, Greg Foran, who's a New Zealander, he's been moved to the head of the US. And interestingly, when he first took the position, he um, elicited no barred feedback from store managers. He then took this feedback and gave uh, improvement plans, uh, which he's going to review on the 30th of September. And he's put clocks that count down to the 30th of September in a lot of the stores and the back offices in Walmart. So that's very interesting, mm-hmm. that technique that he's adopted. Again, uh, at Walmart, sorry, I nearly said Asda. Um, Walmart's focusing on making happier workers. Uh, CFO Brett Biggs said in the last earnings call that happier workers have been responsible for sales increases, so that's interesting. Again, they've raised minimum wage, increased training. And then I think their focus most predominantly on e-commerce. So mm-hmm. if you look at the shipping pass, uh, that's to counter Amazon Prime. So shipping pass is, is essentially their equivalent for $50. Um, uh, Macmillan's talked about going Walmart-sized in e-commerce, which I, I like the term, and, and he's doing that. He's bought JD.com in an acquisition in China and Jet.com recently uh, in the US um, to really bolster their online offering. Yeah, we talked, uh, I think, a few episodes ago, uh, I was able to focus a little bit more on the Walmart and Jet.com deal, if you're curious on the details around that, because it is a very interesting tie-up between them. You know How much of an impact it will necessarily have in terms of, you know, size-wise, Jet.com, though it's grown incredibly in its first year, still is very small relative to Walmart, obviously. But there's it's the technology, I think, that Jet.com provides, and some of the, you know, the logistical uh, intricacy there in terms of how they Build a cart for a shopper that Walmart is really interested in. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be uh, in the next year or two. I think an opportunity for McMillan to really leverage that and see where it goes. He, yeah, and he, he's 
he's made it known that that's his focus and I think he's investing very heavily in that area. Interestingly, um, we were talking about McDonald's moving their headquarters to the downtown Chicago area. Their e-commerce headquarters is in near San Francisco. So they're doing that to, uh, and I quote, invade Silicon Valley for talent. They're very much aware that if they want to get the best people, then they need to be in an attractive location and they're doing that. And I think that shows the importance that they're placing on it. But all of these moves are essentially, again, uh, to improve customer experience. So they want to meet the customer where they are. Uh, very much representative of the push-pull model. They're going to offer pickups, so they're they're pulling uh, trucks into people's workplace parking lots, and they can do pickups from there. Um, they've rolled that out to thirty more lo- thirty more mo- uh, markets. Sorry, they've added more products, improved their fresh produce. Um, and then on the the reverse side, they're also looking into efficiencies, into cost efficiencies. So uh, they divested their Suburbia brand in Mexico, which was their clothing brand. Um, and then looking even in the minutiae of detail. So the bakers they found were using spoons to frost and they were wasting 36 truckloads of icing a year. Uh, <laughs> so they now have new scrapers not to waste those 36 truckloads. And, and I mean, we laugh and it is funny, but that's the kind of level of detail that these um, that these CEOs need to go into if they're really going to get some acute cost savings. Yeah, for a company this size, yeah. th- that that little bit <laughs> on the spoon is... amounts to 36 truckloads in a year. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, we have a few more minutes here. I figure uh, we can kind of look at uh, their recent results, just as a you know a single time period indicator, obviously of. The progress, some of the progress they might be making. They reported, I think it was on August 18th, so very recent. Yeah. Um, the big thing that stood out to me personally was uh, previously, uh, and this was again tied to Jet.com. You know, their e-commerce growth was pretty strong. I think it was in tw- it was uh, over 20 percent not that long ago. It was trending downwards. Seemed to bump up again to about 12 percent for this quarter. But what else stood out to you? So they had organic sales growth is 2.8%, which is great. Uh, comp store sales up 1.6%. This amounts to their eighth consecutive quarter of positive same store sales growth. So they're definitely kind of getting into that safety zone, I would say, where they're securing this seventh consecutive quarter of positive traffic. Um, interestingly, they also noted that sales have increased from their own staff members, which may be showing uh, you know, a greater positive feeling towards the company. Um, International business was kind of the the underlying negative. So the 2.2% underlying sales growth, which is great, but if you break that down, the UK seriously con- uh, continues to struggle. So comp sales decreased 7.5%, and operating expenses were up 8.3% across the board due to wage hikes and things like that. So general trend is definitely positive. There are some areas that they still need to improve, and there was a lot of focus given to those on the earnings call. So I would say that's in good shape going forward. Okay, um, so now uh, at this point, as we're wrapping up, we have the story for McDonald's. We have it for Walmart. Uh, two very different businesses with their own challenges, but you know, Easterbrook and McMillan's turnaround initiatives seem to share quite a few themes. Um, what are your what are your your final thoughts, takeaways in terms of uh, you know some of the similarities there, but also just in terms of you know the importance of leadership? Because I think both of these uh, these examples that we've looked at uh, definitely took on that hands-on approach. And um, you know, I think you mentioned earlier where with McMillan, for example, his ability to to think big picture, to drive and innovate, but at the same time to have uh, a really good grasp of the fact that he rose up through the ranks of the day to day operations being so important. 
Absolutely. I I think this is um, an incredible example that we have right in front of us of uh, two CEOs in a turnaround plan. And you, you don't get that very often. Um, they're both young. They're both company men, essentially. Uh, they both face similar challenges. Scale uh, is, is huge for both companies. Um, they have exposure to uh, different regions. So I think it's 33% for McDonald's and about 30%. Um, sorry, it's about 60% for McDonald's international exposure and about 30% for Walmart. Uh, so they both have those FX challenges. They're both trying to return value for shareholders. These are value stocks, and there's that um, you know, underlying pressure on them to do that. And I think they've both taken a very, as you said, hands-on uh, approach to shaking up the way the company operates at a fundamental level. And not only is that difficult to do, it's also incredibly brave, especially if they have been uh, bought up, essentially, in their careers under this management and they've been learning that way to manage their whole careers um, it's difficult and as far as the kind of how, how much does a CEO actually impact on the ground there is you know 3,000 books a year written on the topic of leadership so it's a very highly debated area I would say this is two examples where they're having a direct impact um, and I, I would tend towards kind of the upper echelon theory, um, Lichtenstein and Collins, and who did a good to great analysis, uh, and say that executive values do have a direct impact on uh, the way that companies operate. And this is a tangible example of that. Okay, perfect. Um, Sarah, it was awesome having you on. I really look forward to having you on the show again. I think it's it, I, it's nice to have someone in studio with me to talk to <laughs> instead of you know talking to my computer. But uh, if you enjoyed the discussion and you want to learn more about uh, leadership and some of the, the you know the great CEOs in the sector and others, there's also an excellent episode of the Rule Breaker Investing podcast from Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner, and he talks about his experience and lessons that he learned from another highly respected CEO in the consumer world, and that's Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks. That episode uh, went out on August 10th, and it can be found at fool.com/podcast along with some of our other great shows. You can also continue the conversation with us via Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or send us any questions or comments via email to industryfocus at fool.com. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!